I think skill mix is absolutely essential. I think it's the future of dental health for oral health professionals is working together and making sure that everybody's utilizing their full skill sets. Um, we really need to embrace this working together and break down this hierarchical um, you know, mindset that we have at the moment. You know, it's really essential. You know, there's so much dental disease out there that we absolutely have to work together. Hello and welcome back to Series 3 of the Smile Revolution podcast, brought to you by Smile Revolution. I'm Victoria Wilson, a dental therapist. This podcast is created for you, the dental profession, to inspire you through the content shared by the wonderful interviewees. And for sure, we need this more than ever during this time in isolation. This podcast is dedicated to oral health promotion with a mission to inspire dental hygienists, dental therapists and the dental profession now and in your career moving forward all around the world. COVID-19 has had such an impact on the dental profession. My heart goes out to each and every one of you whose lives have been impacted in varying degrees. Throughout this series, we will be sharing content on how to open doors of opportunity during this time. The poignant dental professional I had the pleasure of interviewing for this recording was Rachel England, a hygienist who currently works for the FDI World Dental Federation as an education and public health manager. On today's show, we speak about many aspects out of a clinical setting that will certainly leave you thinking about so many other opportunities that could be explored out of a clinical setting today. Rachel is such a remarkable colleague who I have such admiration for, who has inspired me in so many ways to explore further opportunities. You are going to feel so invigorated after listening to this podcast as you gain an insight into how Rachel's career path has evolved. Through listening to our conversation, I hope you learn, gain inspiration and ideas for furthering your career path, supporting oral health promotion to achieve oral health for all. Rachel, welcome on to the Smile Revolution podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I am so happy to have you on the show. Um, from meeting, I don't know how many years ago it was, at the EDEC conference in Dubai. It must have been probably about five years ago, I'd say. Yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah. definitely. At least. Gosh, it feels like time. I know, it takes us back because for the listeners, myself and Rachel both both lived in Dubai for a number of years. How many years did you live in Dubai? Um, almost six years. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's where we met. And I'll, I'll never forget our first conversation of, you know, just how inspiring you were and the things that you were working on and your philosophy behind your work and... You know, I was so inspired from our first conversation. And moving on to where you are now, you've got so much to share, I feel, Rachel, for the listeners. It really is such a pleasure to have you on the show. So, And you're now living in Switzerland. Yes, um, a bit international. (laughs) 
very international from Dubai to the UK and, and now Switzerland, where you're currently working for the FDI um, in a role entitled Education and Public Health. We got the Education and Public Health Manager for the FDI. That's right. I'm really enjoying myself, actually. I really enjoy my new role. It's totally wonderful. Amazing. I feel very lucky. <laughs> so tell me, Rachel, where did your interest in public health begin? Um, it was really at dental hygiene school, and I was lucky enough to train under Julie Debrick, who we heard from last week. She's an amazing, inspirational person. Isn't and she? one day we had a, a lecture from now CDO Sarah Hurley who came in and talked to us about the inequalities in health and I think if you've ever heard Sarah Hurley talk you'll agree she's totally inspiring she's an amazing speaker and so passionate and dedicated to dental public health so really that's where my interest started but it just took me a little while to kind of find my niche and find out how to get into a public health role yeah, because it's it's not necessary. Well, it's, it wasn't signposted for me. I don't feel it is signposted for many of us, you know, on on other options of career paths. Hence the Smile Revolution podcast. <laughs> so how did you, where did you start in, in exploring how to get involved in public health? I think it took me took me some time actually. Um, after graduating, I spent another um, three or four years in the Royal Air Force, and I felt that I kind of had some opportunities to get involved in public health there. I would work with the medical centre, and we would do health awareness campaigns and things like that. And then when it was time to leave the Air Force, um, you know, I think coming into civilian life, it wasn't really what I expected. Um, I think a lot of ex-military people say the same, that you, you don't really find, you don't really settle and you're kind of moving from practice to practice, looking in your, um, you know, looking for that golden practice, you know, your favourite place. So um, it was only really when I moved to Dubai that I had the opportunity to get involved more with public health. And I was really lucky to meet in Dubai, Dr. Shaima Al-Mashdani, who works at the Dubai Health Authority, and Hen Nansel, who is the Philips distributor in Dubai, Philips and Jordan. And I worked with them a lot on public health campaigns and we started the Dubai Smiles Healthy that I'm sure you were involved with as well. Um, World Oral Health Day, so we were really doing lots of public health activities. <clears throat> and it was then that I kind of had the time and the finances to start my studies for a master's in public health as well. Um, you know, it's kind of juggling working full time and then fitting in time to study as well. And, you know, in Dubai, we all work six days a week. So it was really, you know, trying to squeeze everything in. Absolutely. And having that time as well, like you said, and also the financial backing to be able to say, OK, now I'm going to start furthering my education. So how did you initially go about exploring which masters to do? <clears throat> At the time, there were less opportunities available, I think. Um, certainly now there are a lot more online masters in public health courses. Absolutely. And even in the UK as well, there are grants and bursaries available and you know postgraduate loans that you can get. Whereas in Dubai, it was very much, I was going to be an international student and I would have to pay international fees and it would have to be available online. So sure. it really narrowed that field down and it was University of Liverpool that I ended up studying with. And it was an amazing course, actually. It was all all online. All of the modules were broken down into, you know, smaller segments. So 
when you first start start out and you think, oh my gosh, you know, this is a, such a huge undertaking. How am I ever going to manage? And one of my senior class said to me, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Um, just one bite at a time. And I just <laughs> kept that in mind, you know, like every module that you tick off and then you get a little bit closer and then you finish your first module and then kind of before you know it, you're in the third year and you start to do dissertation. So, yeah, I, I love that analogy, I have to say, because I think for anything or any vision we have as professionals of maybe where we'd like to go, it, it can seem a bit overwhelming in that past how how are we going to get there but you i think you know what you just said about you know how do you eat an elephant <laughs> you know one bite at a time and anything we want to achieve i think that's a really great way of looking at it because we have to start working somewhere um within what we're going to be maybe embarking on and it allows you i guess in your mind as well to be able to think this is achievable one bite at a time with anything. So how long did your master's take you, Rachel? It was almost four years in the end. I had to take a little bit of a study break at one point when I was changing jobs, but, you know, I think that's completely normal, you know, trying to fit something in, you know, that's such a, a big a big challenge. Um, so, yeah, almost four years, but okay. I think when you find that passion, your niche that it, the time doesn't really matter, you know, because you're so dedicated to it that you will just keep going until you finish. Yeah, and you do. So you finished your master's how many years ago now? Um, in 2018, 20. I graduated. Okay. And after that, what did you do next? So really, um, I've looking at other public health roles. You know, what do I want to do? Where can I see myself in five years? And then looking at what skills I would need to fit into that. So. Sure. A lot of public health jobs are kind of based on project management. So, you you know, you're looking at um, what can I implement that will improve the health of a community and then how can I evaluate it and assess my intervention at the end. So the next qualification was a PRINCE2 qualification, right. which is project management qualification. And it's re recognised globally. So, you know, you can really use it in any country. Where did you do that? Um, I took that actually in London. After I left Dubai, I was lucky enough to pick up a position at UC, um, UCL, University College London, working as a research dental hygienist. Um, so I was spending a lot of time going around different towns in the UK and taking oral health measurements of men aged over 75. Right. I'm um, so really working on on this huge study. Um, we had a week off, so everybody else took a holiday and I said, well, I'm going to go and do this qualification because I think it will really help me with my next role following this. Yeah. Um, so that was a week intensive. <laughs> yeah. That was a week intensive. So it only took a week to do the course? Yeah, just a week. Um, you can even do that completely online as well, but I really felt it would help because it was quite a new, new subject to me to go and learn it in person. Yeah. And where did you decide to go and learn it? Um, it's a company called the Knowledge Academy. They're based in London, but I think they have classes all over the UK. So you can really find, you know, your nearest test centre and go and do a course there. Right. And would you say that you needed the masters to enter the Prince Two qualification, or do you need any background to apply for this? Or no, anybody could do a Prince Two qualification. I think it helps to have some project management experience so that you understand the systems and how it works. But I went in with absolutely no knowledge of 
project management really other than having done projects in the field yeah um so yeah so for people maybe interested in exploring work within public health if they haven't done a master's would you recommend they do the prince two qualification regardless Yes, definitely. Um, I think Prince2 is really valuable. I think it's um, a lot of companies will maybe see it as a tick in a box okay. um, that you have background knowledge and experience, but I don't think a master's is essential to working in public health. Okay. Prince2 qualification or other project management qualification would be very helpful. Yeah. Um, are there any other ones that you're aware of that the listeners could explore other than the Prince2? I think there are project management qualifications called Agile and um, PMP, but I don't know as much about them, but they're quite similar, I think. Sure. PMP is a bit more advanced, so Prince2 is kind of a good basic all-rounder. Okay. All right, Rachel, thank you so much for that. I've just got one other question about the Prince2 qualification. How much does it cost? It was about £1,000. Okay. All right. Well, that is great for the listeners. I think we've got a good insight there. If people are interested in maybe exploring a route in public health, then if it only takes one week to do, it's achievable. Yeah, absolutely. And for it to be recognised globally, that's obviously quite Mm -hmm. helpful. Now, Rachel, moving on to your work within um, the Maasai Molas, could you please (laughs) expand on that and, and how that all began? Um, so my passion in public health obviously is quite clear and I really wanted to put some of my public health knowledge and dental experience into practice. Yes. So in 2015 I saw a, a post looking for a dental hygienist to go and work in Kenya just for a week as a volunteer so I was like you know brilliant perfect I'll go out I can learn so much about it and you know put into practice what I've been learning and use my skills that I already have. Yeah. Um, and I met such amazing people, you know, the patients were all amazing and they were just so happy to receive care because, you know, there was only 700 dentists for the whole of the population in Kenya, which is like four to six million people. Right. So when I came back, I was kind of busy studying and stuck into my master's and I said, when I graduate, I really want to come back and start an organization that will provide sustainable care in this area. Um, but it was 2018 when I went back. Um, when I was working with Emirates Dental Hygienist Club. So it was really the perfect position to be able to say to people, you know, um, come and volunteer with us. We'll go to Kenya for a week and we'll do dental treatment and oral health education. And I had an amazing group of 12 volunteers who came and from like four different countries. And I thought it was almost going to end in disaster because three (laughs) people missed the flight. Oh, no. I was so lucky that he was like, no, I'm completely dedicated. You know, I'm going to get the next flight and I'll arrive the next morning. And the poor guy had like three hours sleep and then had to come straight out and work on the clinic. Was he a therapist or hygienist? He was a dentist. Oh, he's a dentist. Okay. He was the only dentist. Right. And then we had um, two therapists and then the hygienist as well. So a really good mix of people. And you can really utilize everybody's skills. So you can use the full therapy skills and... Um, hygienist, we had, had a hygiene room set up as well, but then we had oral health education going on outside. So, um, you know, everybody got to do what they love the best. Amazing. Yeah. And then when I moved back to the UK, I thought, okay, well, now is the perfect time to make it a registered charity because it wasn't possible in Dubai. Sure. So 
And I asked like some of my closest friends and mentors, um, you probably know them, Sean Howe, John Stanfield and Maddie Tucker to be the trustee. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maddie Tucker very well. (laughs) (laughs) So we made this registered charity, you know, we're properly set up now, UK registered charity. So um, we've been back in 2019, we had eight volunteers. Wonderful. And again, we have 12 volunteers. So, um, you know, if you're thinking about volunteering, then please do look us up because we're, we're still stuck for volunteers for 2021. Okay. And when is your next excursion um, to Kenya for 2021? We're running two trips in 2021, one in May and one in October. Okay. So everything's full for 2020? It is, yeah. Okay. But that's, you know, interesting. You're obviously planning a year in advance. Um, yeah. So, listeners, if you are interested in becoming a volunteer for Maasai Molas, who should they contact, Rachel? Yourself or Maddie? Or... Yeah, they can contact any of the trustees directly or you can send us an email to maasaimola at gmail.com. Okay. Or Facebook or the website. By the sounds of it, it's a wonderful experience to go out. How many patients on average do you treat there a day? Um, a day, probably 20 to 30. Um, we run dental clinics in the surgery, but we also go to the schools and we're doing some school screening so that we understand a bit more about what the treatment need is. Okay. And there's about 2,000 children in, in the local area in the schools, the kind of board, mix of boarding schools and regular schools. So. Okay. And we really want to get them into the habit of having regular checks and preventative care rather than, you know, just seeing them every year and having extractions, which is not very nice for anybody. So you're going out there twice a year, is that right? From 2021, it'll be twice a year. From 2021, it'll be twice a year. Yeah, and you have a facility that you are working on building, is that correct? Right. As soon as we have the dedicated clinic, then we'll employ a local community oral health officer who is like a dental therapist in Kenya, so that we'll have somebody there permanently. So it will become more of a routine care rather than just, you know, emergency care when we go out, which is not very sustainable. Sure, sure. But the long-term plan is obviously to make it sustainable. From from your initial trip out there in, when was it, 2006? 2015, I went for the first 16. time. And then 2018 as the like leader. You said when you went back after your masters. <laughs> yeah. So how amazing from where you've come from, from your initial trip out there to now be going regularly and looking at obviously setting up this clinic and having a dedicated dental officer out there. To what deliver- a wonderful. Yeah, what what a wonderful story. I'd I think listeners as well, if you wish to learn more about Maasai Molas, um, is there a website that we can direct them to? Yeah, we could have a look at the website. It's www.maasaimola.org. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel. Well, that, I mean, in itself is so interesting. And I mean, what from your public health background, do you feel that your master's helped contribute to that hugely as well as the Prince 2 qualification? Yes, definitely. Um, we're studying for the master's, you're really kind of learning the background and the theory and how to implement health programs and health um, improvement programs. Sure. 
it does help, but I think as a dental hygienist that you already have those skills anyway. You know, we all understand the programs like the very successful Child Smile in Scotland. Yeah. And you can replicate that model in any community really, and it will work and be successful. So, you know, as dental hygienists, I don't think it, you necessarily need to go and do a master's to really understand public health because I think we all understand it. Yeah. Very well already. It's just having the confidence to be able to go and do that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where, you know, spending time with other volunteer organizations or reaching out to colleagues and asking if you can go and do some job shadowing can really help. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great advice, I think, because you just touched on something as well. I feel, as you said, you know, hygienists and therapists, we really do feel what what is, what is needed. Uh, we understand it, but just having that confidence to go ahead and do something is the challenge. And like you said, mirroring somebody or working with somebody. And when you were in Dubai, you had those opportunities um, through EDHC, the Emirates Dental Hygienist Club. So Rachel was the president for that, following on from myself. And there, there is such a need um, for so many, um, for, for dental care and, and oral health awareness, certainly in Dubai. So it's interesting, um, you know, the path of, you know, what you took and, and following people and getting involved in outreaches or because there are multiple trips that uh, or organizations that are already in existence, such as Bridge to Aid, um, um, Dentaid for hygienists to get involved in. And I see more and more dentists as well and other hygienists traveling around the world to deliver care to people that really are in need of, of oral health education and advice. Um, for people in the UK, is there anything that comes to mind for people, you may know being involved in public health, for people that are, are calling out for other help at the moment that people could get involved in? Um, I think the BSDHT have a um, a child dental health programme that they run every year. Yes. And that's really important as well. You know, you can apply and you'll be provided with toothbrushes and toothpaste and all the materials that you need. So, you you know, you're really well supported to take part in that. And also Dentaid as well, run a, an outreach program in Leeds. Um, so that would be a good place to start as well. Yeah. And Rachel, obviously building all of, of what the picture that we've built so far of your your time in Dubai, your master's, Maasai Molars. You then came back to the UK after Dubai, as you were explaining, you did your Prince II qualification, and now you are at the FDI. How did you get to that point? And what what was the path that you took from your Prince II qualification, from working within UCL, within that, that project, to get to where you are now? So it was just as my contract was ending at UCL, it was a six month contract to, you know, record the dental health of these um, huge cohort study. And the job was advertised at FDI for education and public health manager. And I said to my friend, this is, this is my dream job. You know, this is really where my direction has been heading to work in public health, dental public health specifically, and on a global level. So I, you know, I took some advice. I spoke to my support network, people that I knew could help me with my CV, um, you know, brushing up my CV skills, looking if there was any of the transferable skills that I had that I could make applicable to this job. Um, and I, I was really lucky enough to, to, um, you know, have an interview at Christmas and then 
be offered the job in January. Uh, it's completely amazing, you know. Congratulations. Um, thank you. <laughs> but I don't think, you, you just said I was very lucky. I think a lot of your work, we were speaking about this in a conversation previously, and Rachel's done a lot of volunteering um, where she wasn't paid a penny. Um, and I think probably listeners, you can all, this all, can re all resonates with all of us. We've, a lot of us have been involved within various different organizations, the BSDHT, the BADT in the UK, or wherever you may live around the world. And we volunteer our time and we don't get paid for it because we gain so much from it. We learn from that. And that ultimately, these volunteerial positions do feed our CV, our experience to build on the pathway that we are carving as professionals of where we may envisage ourselves or like to be in the future. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think this, you know, you have to be quite focused if you want to make a career change and really assess, you know, what are my skills? Where do I want to be? Who am I and what are my values? What is really important to me? And then spend some time working towards those skills and goals. You know, add into your qualifications, add into your skills, even your soft skills as well, and volunteering as well. You know, reach out to your community, reach out to people in your support network. You know, all of the, if it's academia, there's loads of academics that I'm quite sure would be happy for you to go and learn about their work or, you know, volunteer organizations or, you know, just reach out to people and make those connections. Yeah, but it's also having the confidence to do that. Can you give any advice to to maybe colleagues that are they're inclined or they'd like to reach out to people, but maybe they don't have the confidence to do it? What advice would you give them? Um, I would say go for it anyway. Even if people say no, then you know worse off than you were before. Yes. Um, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's. Um, it's, it's <laughs> People through social media, you know, just drop them an email, drop them a nice note. And I think more people would be willing to help than would be unwilling. Just go for it. Just reach out to everybody and anybody. And like you just said, you're no worse off from reaching out to people, even if people say no. I recorded a, a wonderful podcast um, with Fiona Elwood, who has so much to share on mentoring and how valuable this can be to our career development as professionals being mentored. And this is a similar mm. model, you know, of just reaching out to people, asking people for advice. Um, and that is the way we advance. So I think certainly from listening to you now, you're a perfect example of somebody that really has done that to feed your career, to support you and build your CV to where you are now. So I'm inspired by talking to you, Rachel, and I'm sure listeners, you certainly are for also installing confidence in you. Just just go for it. Just contact people where you want to be. Um, and I'm happy to support anybody in that. And Rachel, if people are interested to learn from you further, is it possible for them to contact you? Yes, absolutely. I'm perfectly happy for anybody to contact me either for mentoring or just a chat or any support yeah just reach out on, on social media rachel england i'm i'm sure you've seen um her name pop up and her involvement within various different networks um you know so probably facebook is 
an, op- an opportunity to reach out with you or connect with you. <laughs> and Rachel, can I ask you, your role within FDI now, you say you're working in public health on a global level. What are you doing? So I manage eight global projects. Um, they're very varied. One of my projects is called the Oral Health Observatory. And that is, we're collecting dental data about people in 11 different countries. In each country, there's between 26 and 76 dentists taking part. So in the end, it'll be more than 15,000 sets of patient data. So we're looking at understanding the impact of oral health on quality of life, um, the state of dental decay and dental caries and perio in different countries, people's dietary habits, sensitivity. So it's absolutely a huge project and it's really exciting. We're just starting to see some of the first results in a collaboration with Sheffield University um, and with Prof. Sarah Baker and Tom Broomhead over there. Um, they're presenting IADR for us this March. How fascinating. And how <laughs> fascinating to get that data back. And how... It's amazing. Yes. It's and- so exciting. How exciting, and the sheer number of people involved in this project. Yeah, I think the first time I saw the data set raw, my face must have been a picture, but now. (laughs) (laughs) What numbers, what value, what changes can bring to what we're doing, clinicians? (laughs) Amazing, and I actually, it's interesting you speak about quality of life. I have interviewed somebody else um, on the Smile Revolution podcast about research and how oral health impacts quality of life. Larissa Music, it's incredible, isn't it? And it's such a fascinating mm-hmm. um, subject and topic matter because, of course, we recognise that as a profession. Mm-hmm. But how is that translated to the public? That's the key. It affects everybody's quality of life. You can't sleep at night if you're experiencing sleepless nights or any discomfort in the day due to your oral health. That is affecting your quality of life. That shouldn't impact that. Yeah, I think people don't realise what an impact oral health has on the life. You know, we really take for granted our dental health and, you know, or perhaps we're going for smile makeovers. Um, When really just having a healthy, stable dentition is what's important and what's essential that's going to, you know, take you through to your later life. Um, you know, once you get into be frail and your dental health is failing, then, you know, it's all of these factors that add up to, um, you know, this adverse out- out- outcome on quality of life. Yeah, no, it's it's such a an interesting area that certainly is being tapped into more and more and I feel is a wonderful opportunity for us to focus on as a profession and sharing that with the public. Absolutely. How wonderful. So that's one of your projects. And that kind of (laughs) (laughs) leads on to the next one, Whole Mouth Health, which is a project we're looking to improve the oral health literacy of different stakeholder groups. So pregnant women, school children, the elderly in independent and dependent care. Um, So we're really going to work in a co-design element. So that means we will take into, we will work with these stakeholder groups to understand what they want or what they need to understand to improve their dental health. Okay. So co-design is a bit like qualitative research. So 
we're understanding what they want rather than us telling them this is how you should improve your dental health. Right, yeah. That's a really interesting project. We're running it in several different countries. It's going to be in Chile, Australia, Nigeria, and the UK. So we're really getting a global perspective of what people need to understand to improve their oral health. Yeah, and what they want. I like what you just said as well. You know, it is what it's got to be what people want, not us telling them what they need. Absolutely. I think it's so important to move away from that kind of old style didactic method of telling them this is how you should brush, you know, it should be, how do you want to improve your oral health? What can we do to support you? Yeah. And Rachel, I mean, you've just mentioned two of the eight <laughs> that you're involved in. Can I just ask you, are you heading up and are you involved in the developments of this in initial research? Yes. Um, so my role is really from the very concept of the project. So coming up with the ideas with our global experts, then we will source global experts in the field and approach them to work on these projects with us and then do as much research to help the experts to develop a framework for the project and what our objectives will be, what our expected outcomes will be. And these can even change as the project develops, you know, um, with the whole mouth health. The concept in the beginning was quite different to what we have now that we've, you know, evolved with the different experts and their areas of expertise. So I think it's really interesting and then I spend a lot of my time doing research, you know, to build the literature reviews and data analysis and then making a framework for the project itself. So then the experts have the opportunity to put the the research into this framework. Wow. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> oh, that's just, I mean, the impact your role is having um, and what, uh, just the in, insight as well into the development of what you can get involved in as a hygienist. It's incredible. It's amazing. I think one of my um, favourite projects as well is the project we're running for improving the oral health of refugees. So in last year, we did a global survey of national dental associations to understand what they're doing to improve the oral health of refugees. Is there any oral health treatment available for refugees? And, you know, who is providing that care? Um, obviously, it's it's quite a, a small area of, of people providing care for refugees. Yeah. So now in the next year, this year, we're writing an advocacy guide to help national dental associations implement oral health care for refugees and how to bring care into the refugee camps or areas of displaced people. So, you know, it's an amazing project and I'm so happy to be involved in it. My goodness. I, I can imagine. I mean, everything that you're doing, you're, you're, you're involved in such an important part of supporting oral health improvements globally what a powerful place to be in and how fulfilling <laughs> Rachel wow okay so that's three of the eight <laughs> um, another project I manage is oral health in cleft patients so um, patients with cleft lip and palate suffer from higher rates of dental caries and it obviously has an impact on their quality of life as well um, and the, the countries that suffer have the higher incidence of cleft lip and palate don't tend to have very good access to care either so we're creating some global guidelines and educational resources that can be used by the dental care team and a non-oral health care team yeah. to provide care for patients with cleft lip and palate to reduce this um, you know rate of decay that they get and periodontal problems that they have so that's another amazing project and you know so important as well 
Of course, absolutely. A hundred percent. Okay, so that's number four. <laughs> number five. We started a project on sustainability in dentistry. Another really important topic. You know, I'm sure everybody in clinic who listens can appreciate how much plastic waste we generate every day. You know, and it's a hot topic at the moment. It really is. So we're working on some guidelines for dental practices on how they can improve the sustainability of their clinic. Um, this year, the project is really focused on improving dental dental like quality of care. So if you having patients that have really good oral hygiene that they need less treatment, then you've got a sustainable practice. So okay. we're kind of focusing on that area at the moment. When when is yeah? I was going to ask you when is this going to be out. So this will be released in the September time, usually in time for the World Dental Congress. So that okay. will be in Shanghai okay, so in 2020. Listeners, stay, stay looking out for this one because this is something that's obviously relevant to us all working in clinic. So thank you for that. So And where should they access it? Will it be on the FDI um, platform or where, where would they be able to access it? It will be on the FDI website. And also the FDI social media channels, you can find it there. We'll be doing a lot of promotion around it. Okay, at the time, around September. We will cut it at number five because there is just so much to discuss around each one of these research projects. And it's just so inspiring to listen to you and what you're involved in, Rachel. Thank you so much for what you've shared so far. Can I just ask you one thing that is always interesting to me as somebody that has stepped out of clinical at this moment of time and having the confidence to do that. Can I ask you, how did you transition and, and build that confidence to step away from clinical to where you are now? Working on the research project at UCL kind of gave me a transition phase sure. because I was collecting clinical data, but I wasn't really working clinically. Um, so that helped with a bit of transition, but moving into the FDI, I think it took me a little while to settle, actually. Um, it's quite a difference moving from working every day face-to-face -face with patients and you kind of moving around all day and talking to people to sitting quietly at your desk and studying. So Probably the UCL gave you that, like you said, that initial kind of grounding and support that you can do this and there is a way and there are certainly so many opportunities for us potentially out of a clinical setting to support oral health improvement so, yes absolutely so listeners i'm sure you are feeling extremely invigorated i certainly am after speaking to rachel and everything she's involved in and just learning from the various different steps she's taken to feed her career path and where she is now. Thank you, Rachel, so much for your time, for all you shared for the listeners on this podcast recording today. But just before we get to the end of the podcast, it's the Smile Revolution Fire Round. Can I ask you, where would you like to see oral health, public health for dental hygienists, dental therapists in the next five years? I think skill mix is absolutely essential. I think it's the future of dental health for oral health professionals is working together and making sure that everybody's utilizing their full skill sets. Um, we really need to embrace this working together 
and break down this hierarchical um you know mindset that we have at the moment you know it's really essential you know there's so much dental disease out there that we absolutely have to work together and break down those barriers i could not agree more thank you so much for your time you've been such a wonderful guest and i hope to maybe have you back on the podcast again because i've got so many more questions to ask <laughs> thank you i would love to come back thank you so much for having me thank you rachel thanks so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode please share it rate it and leave a review please email me on info at smile-revolution.net i can't wait to learn how this recording has impacted you and lastly don't forget to like subscribe and follow smile revolution on social media for more content please engage in the comment section i will read all and respond to as many as possible the podcast audio is available on all major platforms and video content on the podcast can now be found on the Smile Revolution YouTube channel. To stay up to date on all Smile Revolution projects, subscribe to the Smile Revolution newsletter by emailing info at smile-revolution.net stating subscribe to newsletter. Thanks for joining me and being part of the Smile Revolution.